Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Race Formula E podcast as we look back on a typically fraught doubleheader at last weekend's New York E-Prix. Formula E's return to the Red Hook track didn't disappoint with some terrific racing and zero to hero and vice versa storylines. Joining me, your host Andrew Vandenberg, to try and make some sense of it all is our special guest, DS Tachita reserve driver and sporting manager, James Rossiter. And as usual, the race's Formula E writer, Sam Smith, is fresh from hailing his sizable cheesecake quota from the Big Apple. Uh, James has had a fascinating career covering Formula 3, which is where I think I first met him, uh, LMS and Super GT in Japan, where he spent many successful years also competing in Formula Nippon and Super Formula. James, normally at this point, um, I do some anecdote about how I got to know the driver or whatever, but I'm going to flip that on its head and ask you to do an anecdote about how you became involved in Formula E. Well, actually, um, it's, it's fairly apparent for you to ask me that question. As uh, I turned up to a race in Berlin um, as a guest of the championship in season three, and, uh, and I bumped into yourself in, uh, in the paddock. And, uh, and next thing I knew, I was scrounging around for some driver kit and borrowed a helmet from Loic Duval, a race suit from the safety car driver, I think, uh, or from someone else. Um, put it all together, and I think someone put some foam in the, in the old car, in the, the Formula E car, and, uh, and I got to do the demonstration laps. And that was really my first um, main introduction to Formula E. Yeah, it was amazing. To, I, mean, I think... From bumping into you for you getting into the car it was a, it was about five hours or something. It was amazing. Uh, probably less actually. I, it was uh, yeah, it was quite amazing. I have to say, but it was uh, it was a great first introduction to the car. I mean, I'd I'd followed the series of quite a bit, but uh, to get a real feeling of the car and to be able to have the chance to jump in, especially on a real Formula E track, you know, with uh, that was um, an enlightening experience, shall we say. Regular uh, listeners to this show will know I've been trying to work out the best format for doing these things with the double headers because, especially with the way Formula E qualifying works, building a narrative around the two races when they're often so completely different is quite tricky. So this week, we're trying a team-by-team approach. So I think probably an excellent place to start is with DS Chichita. James, uh, you're absolutely ideally placed to give us an, an in-depth appraisal of how things went. Um, bit of a roller coaster for both drivers, uh in uh, Red Hook? Ah, it was such a mixed weekend for us, honestly. It was, um, we had great, great speed the whole weekend, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, Antonio struggled on Saturday and then we had a disastrous Sunday for Jeff, uh, which, uh, you know, we as a team, we have to hold our hands up and be responsible for. We had some issues that we've never seen before in the car. Um, but having said that, a disastrous weekend where we brought a podium uh, in each race. Uh, on Saturday, Jeff, Jeff drove remarkably well. And uh, yeah, he put everything together to to bring a second place, and and Antonio did uh, an amazing job. Being um, you know anybody that is in Group One and can end up with a podium in the race, I think uh, I think that's as good as a victory on on most weekends. Yeah, I think so. Um, Sam, you obviously spoke to Jeff. Uh, one, did they get to the bottom of what that problem was? And I guess is was a, a, a mixed a bag of emotions. Yeah, he was he was actually pretty sanguine on on both days, which I thought was quite impressive because I reckon if it was twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen spec Jeff, there there might have been a few, you know, it might have been a bit volatile uh, after the disappointments, especially on Sunday. But I thought he drove a really good race on Saturday. But you know, I think he himself he couldn't help thinking that maybe that move he made on Cassidy, he possibly could have been a bit more, bit more patient and picked him off later. But having said that. 
it's really hard to overtake a, a red hook. I mean, it's, uh, you, you know, you, the drives that we saw from Robin Fryens and, and Max Gunter on the Sunday coming from the back are, are quite a rarity at that place. So I think in terms of the good points that he scored, he'd be pretty pleased about those. There was an air of confidence again on Sunday morning after that second place on Saturday. and But it, it, it all went to pot with this issue in, in qualifying. It rooted him to the back of the grid. And then the team, as far as I know, is still looking into that failure you know i don't know if james can give some insight into into it and whether it was linked to the one that saw him uh not being able to get off the grid i mean he he got to his dummy position and and then into his grid box and then it just appeared to die so yes he was frustrated but i think enough time had passed when i'd spoken to him that he could put things into perspective you know he's only 13 points off bird in the title chase and he's eminently capable of reducing that very quickly and having a good crack at at a hat trick of titles but um yeah james did a team of they got to the bottom of of what might have caused those issues in both qualifying and the race uh the one in qualifying seemed to be a combination of events that uh say think something got stuck in a loop um so that was a real shame because we've never seen a situation like that. And uh, the one at the start of the race, we're still trying to fully get understand exactly why this happened and, and what's, you know, what, well, why we didn't start the race. It's a very strange thing for us because we haven't had really any problems ever. So, um, so yeah, it was a pretty shocking thing to have happen. But as, as you mentioned about Jeff, his, um, you know, he's matured nicely over the last few years and, he kept himself very composed even in this disastrous situation and uh, I think he was more angry for losing the race on Saturday than he was for, uh, you know, there was nothing he could have done on Sunday. So, um, yeah, I think he's still in a good place going into these final two rounds. OK, well, let's um, let's go through the teams in, in pit lane order, which means next up comes uh, Nissan Edams. Obviously, under their Renault guys, we're probably the, the team to beat in the championship, but Sam, it's really not working for them this season. And it didn't really pick up in New York, although Buemi appeared to show a little bit more form uh, in practice and qualifying. But how can they get themselves out of this rut? Yeah, it, it, it is a rut. I mean, they they were. I mean, they weren't terrible in New York. I mean, they were thereabouts, but ultimately they just don't have the pace to try and get podiums and, and big scores at the moment. Buemi, you're right, did appear to be in a better place. He got into Super Bowl, but it says everything about him when. You know, we, we we're surprised when he gets into Super Bowl these days because it used to be a staple of what he was all about. He he ran third initially on Saturday, then then dropped back into the sort of P six P seven area and circulated with teammate for Roland for the most of the race thereafter. Funnily enough, and I don't know if James picked up on this, and it didn't hit me at the time, but I reckon. Roland deliberately handed sixth place back to Buemi on the final lap after his team worked out that if he did so, he'd drop points and move into Group 2 for for Sunday, Group 2 qualifying, which I only, t- I only twigged with me uh, on the plane home when I was studying some data. And I- ironically, on Sunday, of course, the group that was affected by the shower was was group two so maybe a bit of uh karma going on there i don't know but i you know nissan generally not the force they seem to have been particularly uh in in season five and and it's in some cases last season so a lot of work to do there there's some scratching of heads at, at edams about their pace i think i think both qualifying and race pace as well it it just didn't seem to work 
in particular at New York. Yes, they got some points, but you know that they've been hoping for so much more uh, since the start of the season, and especially since Monaco when they introduced their new powertrain. James, when a team that's so used to winning like that finds itself going through one of these barren patches, how, how do they drag themselves out of it? Because it's a different scenario for when you're an up-and-coming team trying to break into the winner's circle. Well, I honestly thought they had when Boemi did that qualifying lap on, on Saturday. Um, you know, I thought that they were going to be there to win the race. And especially with himself, you know, he's he's so used to being able to deliver uh, in every situation. So I can't, I can't imagine what they're going through, really, because I don't think their car's slow. You know, they proved when they put their new powertrain in, it was very, very competitive. You know, obviously, Oliver was has been there almost every weekend. Um, so a bit of a surprise not to see him right at the front uh, in New York. Um, and then, yeah, they just seem to be struggling in race pace. I'm sure they'll go back. Uh, most likely, you know, in Formula E, we spend a lot of time in the simulator. And, uh, and I think they probably just need to go back to their factory, regroup, and, uh, and see if they can get to the bottom of their race pace issues. Somebody else is probably doing a bit of regrouping or head-scratching in the sim at the moment is Mercedes EQ, who looks... But they would be unbeatable in the first part of the season, and now they can barely buy a point. Sam, what's going on there? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of BMW last season. You know, such a such a great start, and then a, and then a real tail off. Um, yeah, eight points from six races. Six races. Uh, what can you say? It's it's disastrous form. But speaking to Ian James and, and Stoffel Van Dorn on on Sunday, they're, they're they're pretty calm and they are focused on the last two events, but. Nevertheless, you know the, the the points table doesn't lie, and and this famine has has just accrued momentum since well, really since Monaco. Uh, let's be frank; they've had some appalling luck. Nothing seems to be going right at all, and it all kind of began in Monaco when De Vries had that. You remember that he had inadvertently knocked his power switch off or into a different mode in qualifying to two hundred kilowatt mode, and then he got clobbered by De Grassi and Fryens in Mexico. Then there was the rain shower in New York. You know when. When when things go wrong in Formula E, they just seem to be exacerbated, and and, and you go on these runs, and and that's exactly where Mercedes are at the moment. And and yes, there's the qualifying group, Group One, and then you know the Group Two situation in New York when they they did have some bad luck. But let's face it, Jaguar and Envision and have been in the same position, and so has Antonio Felix da Costa. But they've managed to make the most of it and, and get some points on the board. Mercedes haven't. The truth is that they really didn't have the pace in New York. You know, if you look at BMW, I mentioned Gunter and I mentioned Fryens earlier, who came through. They just weren't able to do that. You know, Van Dorn in particular was unlucky because he had he had two punctures. He got a puncture in qualifying when he glanced the wall, and then he he got a, t- a damaged tire in the race. And those two punctures, when you have a tire allocation as tiny as six tires for two days running in Formula E, then he, you know, you're kind of screwed for Sunday. So that's what happened to Van Dorn. Overall, lots of bad luck, wrong time, wrong place scenarios. But at the end of the day as well, there, there's been mistakes too. It, it all constitutes a, a, a kind of mini crisis, I think, and one that has seen them go from post-Valencia having a 23-point van- advantage in the table um, to now languish in, I think, fifth with 33 points behind Envision Virgin, who are the new table toppers. So that is, in an article I did earlier this week, um, on the hyphen race.com, I said it was, you know, if this had been football, it's relegation form, isn't it? So 
tricky one. They have to regroup. They've got four more races. They're entirely capable of, of a resurgence, but yeah, they're, they're running out of time for that. But their form just has to change and it has to change soon. James, has this slump come as a bit of a surprise to you and, and DS? I imagine you would have singled them out as probably your biggest rivals in the championship. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way they finished last season, they were clearly uh, going to be our main rivals and who we were keeping an eye on. The thing that's really surprised me is it does seem that there's a certain type of circuit they're incredibly strong at. Um, and then it does seem a certain type of circuit they struggle at. And then I think the drivers are maybe overstretching themselves a little bit. And that's when some of the mistakes are happening. Um, certainly from what we saw, actually, Stoffel looked incredibly fast in New York. So we thought that he was going to be really quick. He was very quick in the in the practice sessions. And as, you know, as Sam just touched on, it didn't. They didn't manage to put it together uh, when it all counted. And that he got really, really hurt by this tyre um, issue by having two punctures. So, yeah, I've been been very surprised. But, I mean, this is Formula E. Don't, uh, don't be too shocked if we see them uh, at the front in London and, and Berlin. Yeah, if anything, actually being a little bit further behind and finding themselves in Group 2 might be paying dividends. Yeah, I mean, Group 2 for qualifying, even with, uh, you know, in, in London, it, it looks like it's going to be incredibly difficult to overtake. And Stoffel's in Group Three, I think. Um, so you can, I mean, yeah, anything it can turn around so quickly as we've seen in the last few races. Um, and I definitely think they're going to be there come the end of the season. Now, Sam, you mentioned that the new points leaders are in Vision Virgin. Um, they're still effectively a small privateer outfit. How do they consistently punch above their weight? Yeah, it's like a magic formula, isn't it? I, I don't think there are any secrets. I think they've just got a really tight team and some good people, a strong engineering-led team. And I think they've plainly got two fantastic drivers in Robin Frines and, and Nick Cassidy. They've, they've accrued a whopping 86 points uh, in the last five races. That is, that is some going. And it thrusts them into a two-point lead in the team's championship standings. And and, you know, both drivers have serious momentum now. The drivers had every, I suppose they had very different races in New York. Cassidy, he made the most of being in Group 3 with a pole on Saturday uh, and a P3, um, sorry, a P4, a P4 finish, of course, after after that incident at the hairpin. Um, P3 start on Sunday and then he delivered a second in um, in Sunday's race as well. So he had a really, really strong weekend. Frines had to combat those Group 1 woes and came from 11th to 5th in Saturday's race. Again, another fine cut through the field. And then he went even better on Sunday. He uh, was way down the grid and I think 21st and he came through to 8th on Sunday and was clearly the quickest guy in the field I mean he was just absolutely flying on Sunday and, and drove a fantastic race perhaps looking at it one of the best drives of the season so far in my book the team itself's one of the, just one of the most efficient and organized as I said in the pit lane and it you know and it tells and for the resources they have it's really interesting I'm speaking to Sylvan Filippi actually and we're, we're running a story on them later this afternoon on Wednesday afternoon and the gist of it is that they're in a really good position even though they have lost their um, technical partner and their powertrain provider in Audi for um, for season nine you know they, they they were looking at that as a long-term basis that has now changed because Audi are leaving but they're in a good position because the cost cap um, procedures that are going to come into Formula E for season nine they're kind of 
almost tailor-made for those in a way because they're lean and they run a very efficient organization as i said so both drivers i think are, are, are pretty much sealed sealed or or agreed for next season possibly not completely signed up but i don't expect any change so Answering your question, V2B, I think it just goes back to some really good continuity, uh, great engineering base, and, and that has been told at the minute. And there are people up and down the pit lane that I spoke to on Sunday night and, and even on the flight home who really believe that Envision Virgin are, um, are right up there now as one of the favourites to to challenge for at least one title. So you wouldn't put it past them. And um, I suppose from Audi's perspective, you know, if they can't win the title themselves, then... Uh, their car winning one of the titles is the next best thing, but we'll have to see. So many twists and turns to come, but the um, the, the the boys and girls from Silverstone are doing a stellar job at the moment. And Cassidy really seems to have found his feet and, and grown into the series. James, another driver that's come from a, an extensive career in Japan, how will what he learned in uh, Super GT and Super Formula be helping him now? Well, I think you know he demonstrated to everybody on uh, on Saturday, having pressure from Jeff and Jeff uh, having to sort of force his way past in a, in a not the cleanest way. Um, you know, I was I've been very aware of Nick and his racecraft since uh, we raced together in Japan since 2016 um, in Super GT. He's incredibly fast, incredibly knowledgeable, and he's very very good at learning and adapting. And uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's uh, he's worked his way into the top five in the championship, and he's turning himself into a real contender in his rookie season. Which um, so I'm I'm a bit surprised how surprised everyone else is, to be honest. Um, I don't I, maybe yourself, you, you know, you you know Nick quite well, so um, maybe you're not as surprised. But um, yeah, that he's certainly pushing Robin, and I think with the two of them, as in any team, when you've got two strong drivers, and you can put together the different things that each driver knows and Nick comes with a different knowledge um, than Robin and I think one of the important things in Formula E that um, is possibly overlooked is Nick's been doing tyre development in Japan for many many years Uh, so he understands tyres very well he understands how to look after them how to get the most out of them Um, and he seems to have put that into practice with learning these uh, these Michelin Formula E tyres which seem very uh, very special. I think there's always an element of the blinkers that go on. It, it's almost similar as well to football. Like when there's a World Cup, there's always a, a player who comes through that's playing in an unfashionable country. And I think it's the similar for racing drivers. If you're not on that European F1 single-seater ladder, then to some people, you you, you, you know, you, you don't really, they don't follow you or, or track it. And I think it's good in a way, though, that people can come up on the blind side like that. Yeah, that's true. That's a, that's one positive, I guess. You get get some new fans and get some some surprise drivers in there that can uh, that can deliver serious results. So next up, uh, BMW i Andretti. Uh, I love the way that Gunter took advantage of that uh, little mix up between uh, Jev and Cassidy to nick in and, and get the win. Um, you did a piece on uh, how crucial it's going to be for him in the context of what's going to happen with that team, obviously with the uh, BMW pulling out. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Uh, Max has had a a kind of a, a peak and trough season. When he's quick, he's he can get the job done, and he scored now three E pre wins, and he he's shown that when he gets the opportunity, he can make the most of it. Whether it's leading from the front or whether it's making a really opportune move, as he did on Vernon um, and Nick Cassidy on Saturday, and it is a crucial time. 
BMW are leaving, of course. Andretti is staying, and they will use continue to use the BMW powertrain for next season. I think we're going to find out in the next two or three weeks the, the, the constituent parts of that deal for next year. Not necessarily the drivers. I, I, they may they may wait a bit longer on the drivers. They obviously have um, options with Jake, Dennis, and, and Max Gunter. I think these results, particularly Dennis's in Valencia and then Gunter's last weekend in New York, is is giving Michael Andretti and, and Roger Griffiths a bit of a headache there because there are certainly some other drivers in a pool. You know, Andretti are lucky. They have a pool of drivers, don't they, with their multiple programs. So I've heard names such as Kyle Kirkwood and Oliver Askew mentioned. I think they're quite long shots, but there, there is a pool of drivers that could be called upon. And obviously... The, the crux of it is going to be the financial and commercial makeup of of the team because that has been that has had to be restructured obviously for next season. So we're going to have to wait and see. Gunter did his part by winning that race and, and winning it well, and then he had another excellent race on Sunday. He was way back. He got compromised by the the rain shower we mentioned earlier and started way back in uh, on the, I think the penultimate row of the grid. Came through and got a point, which was. You know, a really gritty drive. So he he had a really really strong weekend, and it was up there with with Fryant, Bird, and, um, and and Cassidy for my book in terms of the overall performance. Dennis had a difficult weekend, got got bashed about a bit, and, and was involved in a a few shunts, and and um, you know it was it was a difficult one for him. But I think from Gunter's perspective, he whether or not he's going to have options for next year, we we don't know. We kind of the what I'm gauging from around the paddock is that actually there could be a bit of a status quo on with lots of teams that you know that they will go for continuity because that the key driving force really for the driver market this year is uh, or one of them certainly is the fact that they teams will want drivers to stay with teams for the development of the Gen 3 car which will start kind of April May time of next season so you know you don't want to have well you want to have the same drivers ideally that they're going to be doing that to then racing them in 23 so all that has to be taken into account but yeah Gunter a a timely reminder that you know when he is given the opportunity he can deliver and he can deliver big points and wins. James uh, Sam mentioned earlier about how Audi if they're not winning themselves would prefer Envision to be winning it but uh, I doubt it. Yeah, correct. <laughs> I think that's the last team you'd want to beat you. Um, in, in my opinion, I mean, if we had a customer uh, powertrain, it's the last person I would accept beating us, to be perfectly honest. And I, I think I, I completely agree. So have you been a bit surprised by how they failed to deliver on their potential? There always appears to be a point in the weekend when the cars are quick, yet, you know, the, the grassies win uh, Mexico aside. They don't really seem to be pulling it together. Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I thought that Lucas's lap actually in Group Two uh, in that damp session on the, on Sunday was pretty pretty mega. Um, but yeah, they just they struggled in the races. They seemed so up and down compared to you know to compared to their customers, and it's a bit surprising. I'm not sure. I don't know the team inside out, but I'm sure Alan McNish is trying to get to the bottom of it and and trying to under, understand how it's possible that they're being beaten. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I can't imagine it's a very easy time for them right now. So I'm a team that didn't have an easy time at all with Jaguar Racing, um, but they pulled it out of the bag to uh, to get Sam Bird's car up and running and obviously, you know, take from rebuilding it to a dominant win. Um, 
amazing. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there at Jaguar. They had a real ro- roller coaster of a weekend. Uh, Sam Bird started off in the worst possible fashion that you went on a such a congested day of practice qualifying and racing of course the worst thing you can have is a is a big shunt and he did that just just made a tiny mistake glanced the wall uh, at turn 14 the last corner turn 14 i think it is and then went straight into the tech pro did the tub um and they had to change the chassis which is a big job i mean we saw didn't we neo 333 in rome it took them pretty much all day um that was because they had a, a spare chassis with a loom and a dressed dress to some extent so you know when you don't have that then you're on a hiding to nothing most of the teams now do have a dress tub with the loom and so forth in but it still takes at least at least three hours i mean i think it was just over three hours that it took jaguar to to get it ready for qualifying they made it by seconds so it was all hands to the pump uh, you know, I saw James Barkley kind of coordinate things. I saw um, Phil Ingram, Sam's engineer, getting his hands dirty. You know, Gary Eckerroll was was wheeling a wheeling a battery around. I mean, it was it was everyone was on it, and they got it done. Qualifying obviously was was difficult because they couldn't get the the setup perfected and and everything honed on the car. But it, you know, Sam got a point, which was uh, quite a performance. You know, quite a quite a, a testimony to the team there to get to get it on the grid and to get a point and then on Sunday he was just magnificent you know he was a flawless performance from the start of the day to the checkered flag and he he dominated that race he completely bossed it and reaped the rewards I thought he was pretty pretty peerless Mitch Evans uh, nightmare weekend technical issue in the first race costly mistake uh in the second when he he was in line to make it a, a one-two for jags or, or at least a podium uh it was a difficult race for him he was really struggling with the tires and um yeah i mean he was really upfront about it he took the you know he rightly took the uh, responsibility for that incident and that when he tagged the wall um which you'd expect from a character like mitch but actually there were a few i suppose extenuating circumstances you know if he hadn't have had the issue on saturday he would have had more knowledge of the evolution of the track and where the where the marbles were and where the cracks were and and where you know just how it evolved and how he could manage his tires a bit better so but yeah it was his mistake and and he rude that uh if it was any other championship you know it might have been a, a title damaging shunt but of course formula e you know he's not too far from his teammate now so all in all a um a sweet and sour weekend i guess for for jaguar great wins some good points but uh for mitch evans side of the garage uh a difficult one to take James, how impressive was the work that Jaguar did to get that car uh, up and running and qualifying in such a short period of time? Yeah, it was incredibly impressive. I mean, uh, it can happen informally, um, as happened to Jeb in Rome, where you just, you know, unexpected things happen and you have to put all hands to the deck and and try and drag yourself out of whichever situation you've been put into. But to to rebuild a tub and uh, or a complete new car, let's say, around it and and get it all done, very, very impressive indeed, I have to say. yeah, they had a bit of a mixed weekend, uh, but uh, but they had a lot of speed in New York. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You know, it's such it's such a roller coaster in the championship. Um, and Bird saying that he thought he was out of it. I, he, there was a little breakfast that formally organised, and he, you know he wasn't even considering the, that he was in the hunt for the championship. But that's how quickly these things turn around. 
It does turn around quickly. Um, but one thing with uh, with Mitch's weekend, uh, he hit the wall in qualifying with that same rear left corner. And I was wondering uh, when it happened in the race, I didn't see the, the contact, but I was wondering if it was actually, if they didn't replace the whole rear left corner, if it was a, a, a part that was damaged, carried over from his qualifying contact, um, as we didn't have much time to change everything. Do you know anything about that, Sam? I, I don't. It's a good point, though, James. It's a really good point. I think it was enough of a whack anyway that it um, that it uh, bent the um, bent the wishbone and but and the wheel. I think the rim was damaged also. But yeah, it's a very it's a very good point. I don't know the answer, but it was um, it was enough to it was enough to to do it. And oh, the frustrating thing for him was that it it sort of took what two or three laps, didn't it, for it to to completely go on the on the line so yeah just just unfortunate but uh yeah i'll follow that one up thanks for the lead james <laughs> no problem <laughs> interesting one i just i mean they're pretty strong those formula e cars and uh and i've seen mitch mitch is uh one of the drivers that i think is is able to have sort of he has one millimeter of contact with the walls everywhere uh it's quite impressive um but uh, but yeah, the the whack that he took in qualifying was quite significant. But his car held together okay, so it'll be interesting to know if they they change the whole rear left corner or, or not. That was heartbreaking watching him dying just before the line. It was like one of those marathons where the runners hit the wall and just can't go on anymore. But um, there we go. Porsche um, yeah. up next. Uh, they came in with the weekend having been cruelly denied in Mexico. There was a time in that first race, Sam, where I thought that Andre might win it. The, he was simply stalking that lead group, but the hunt for the elusive win continues. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit similar to Nissan, actually. You know, they they ultimately flattered to, to deceive at, at New York. It wasn't quite the pace where they could infiltrate. The top three, you know, both drivers were were on form. Uh, Verline had a bit of a catastrophic Saturday and um, and had contact again and, and, and broke the car, which was difficult. Lotterer was on better form than he has been for for a while, I thought, and, and looked pacey. Sunday was Sunday was interesting. They they clearly worked together as a team and they were there or thereabouts, but then they, they seem to sort of tie themselves in knots. And, you know, we've, we've seen this before. I mean, you know, James, James will know all about it from a few races in, in season six and, and, and a few others too. It's, it's super hard to choreograph adequately when you've got two cars in close proximity. Um, it can work, but equally, you know, probably 50% of the time it doesn't quite work out as as they intended and I, I got the feeling speaking to uh Lotterer after the race on Sunday you know he, he was playing the team game and and saying that you know in, in hindsight it's always difficult these things but you know deep down I think there would have been a, a bit of a tasty debrief because you felt that they probably should have got a podium out of it they lost out to uh Da Costa in that race and you, you just felt that they were kind of diluting themselves um at times but yeah, I mean, they they didn't seem nearer to a to that breakthrough victory, which, as you attested, they they, they felt they had in in Mexico. So there is some frustration there on just making that that breakthrough, and I think that, that that they'll be under pressure. Certainly, if they go to Berlin and they they haven't got a victory on home ground, they'll feel that pressure a bit a bit more keenly. And then, of course, if they uh, you know if they they haven't got a a victory going into their third season, the it'll ramp up again. But 
they they've got a car that is capable of doing it. I just think they need to they just need a clean race, of particularly qualifying, and um, and then maybe just one driver to strike out rather than two of them trying to orchestrate things in in the way that they tried to do uh, efficiently in New York. Jamal Andre's your old flatmate. Um, <laughs> he's one of the elder statesmen of, uh, of Formula E now. There's, we've seen a lot of young drivers come in. Is there still a role for an experienced guy and what they bring to the team? Well, for, firstly, to touch on Sunday's race, um, I felt that they really, Porsche, shot themselves in the foot by keeping Andre bottled up because he had more energy than Pascal. And I think he had quite a bit more pace as well. Um, the two of them seem to have quite a different car balance. And I know that uh, when Andre gets a car that that is set up how he likes it, he'll drive it straight to the front. So uh, I think that uh, that they could have orchestrated that one a little bit better. I know they played the team game and I know how that works, as Sam mentioned earlier, where, you know, trying to get the cars to work together a little bit. Um, but certainly on, on Sunday after, they kindly uh, took the attack mode and let Antonio pass both of them, which I was very grateful for. Um, they struggled to catch back up and I was expecting Andre to uh, to be let past and come and attack the, the lead cars because he had, more energy than I think all of the cars in front are some, at one point over over one and a bit percent. Um, so yeah, bit bit surprised at that. But I have to say he's you know he finished second in Valencia, and I do think that when the car is capable of a win, he will be able to execute it. So uh, I hope for him that he can uh, he can put it together before the end of the season and and bring them a, the elusive win. I think it'd be quite a story if he if he could as uh, as he's coming up to touch on forty years of age. I think he, he must be the only person to race single-seaters every single year, I think, since he started racing um, until now. That's, you know, a, that's a good start. That's a good start, yeah. and, and there's a, He's probably the most experienced single-seater driver ever. <laughs> Could be. I mean, I guess someone like AJ Foyt in the, in the States would have raced uh, those, those things for about, yeah, in Formula cars. I think Andre's done uh, probably since he was 16 when he started Formula BMW. Um, I think he's raced his single-seaters every single year because yeah. he did. Uh, yeah, he went straight to Japan and from Formula 3 and did Formula Nippon and then Super Formula and then Formula E. So, uh, the, the, the other amazing stat I found with, with Andre when he joined uh, Tachita in, back in 17 was apart from a race at Poe that he did in 2001, um, probably with the Jaguar Junior team, he'd never raced on a street circuit in a single seater, which which I found amazing. Yeah, that is quite amazing. I, I hadn't I hadn't appreciated that. I have to say that the circuits in Japan leave no margin for error. So uh, yeah, if you're used to racing at Sugo and Autopolis, um, Suzuka, these places where you have grass and then a wall and extremely high speed um, single seaters, it's uh, I would say you're almost the same as a street circuit anyway. There's no runoff anyway. Sam, next up, Mahindra. I mean, not much to say, really. What, probably not one they're going to remember too fondly. No, it was, it was a bit of a stinker all round, really, for, for Mahindra, which was a shame because, again, they're a team that has flashes of pace and, and often doesn't seem to, to convert it. I mean, the only, I suppose the only high point really was a couple of points for a Lynn in on Sunday and Sims drove a fine race actually a pretty clean race on Sunday as well but was quite quite far back bit of a detached sixth place for Sims he was fighting uh Sete Camera in a 
in um, a, an energy hemorrhaging Dragon Penske, which you know was at one stage lapping two seconds slower in the second phase of the race, uh, uh, just trying to claw back something for to, to finish the race, and it ultimately did in the eleventh. But Mahindra have got some head scratching; they got some work to do. You know, there is there is a, a great deal of promise there, and I think the long term partnership they have with ZF is is going to get stronger. Um, but ultimately, they are they are in they are in a, a midfield package really um and they can hit the peaks in in qualifying but in the race it just just doesn't seem to to happen for them so um yeah Dilbag Gill will be will be pushing to try and finish the season off in style London actually could be a really good opportunity for them because as James said if you you know if you can get into Super Bowl and you can qualify in the top top four or five which both Sims and actually moreover Lynn has proved they're capable of doing then Getting making moves and getting past in in London, I think is going to be, uh, you know, I'm, as you know, as you know, VDB, I'm always a pessimist when it comes to wholesale carnage, and I think, I think in London, I think in London, that's exactly what we're going to get because the confines of the track are, yeah, they're going to be. I, I envisage it going to be very, very tight and tricky, and nowhere to manoeuvre, and and I expect race. Race suspension, safety cars, full course yellows, hopefully not red flags for, for TV purposes. But uh, it could be somewhere that a team like Mahindra can, can grab a podium and, and even maybe more if they can, um, if they can, uh, if they can still achieve, overachieve in qualifying. I don't think anything um, demonstrates the vagaries of Formula E more than uh, the performance of Venturi in uh, New York. The, Previous race, we got all excited about them. They were winning the championship. Now they're in the bit of the also rounds where we're wrapping them up with uh, Dragon and Neo. Um, what can you say? Yeah, it was. It kind of reverted to type in a way, didn't they? After the the heights of uh, Puebla for Montara in particular, they had a there was a software glitch that uh, downgraded Montara to a two hundred kilowatt lap in his qualifying group on Saturday compromised Rast so he, you know they weren't the most popular team in the in the paddock after that and it you know from there on in Mortara was completely hamstrung and and came in well, well away from the points uh Nato was was decent on Sunday he had a really good race uh got his elbows out plenty of contacts you know fought for positions and showed some really strong fighting spirit uh, ended up with this weird uh, I don't know if you saw there was this piece of debris which kind of wedged itself into this into his front nose cone looked like a sort of a um, quite impressive yeah it was a good job oh. wasn't it it was like Do you um, know who, whose car it came from uh I don't actually no it looked like no. a huge chunk of diffuser but it was amazing it yeah. stayed there the whole race it did it was like one of those hill climb um transponders wasn't it when yeah. that. and he um he got a he got a good result Nato finished seventh once Degrassi had been uh pinged back Mortara uh, his race was compromised after a bit of a barging match which went wrong with Jake Dennis's BMW but yeah all in all it was a really fraught fractured weekend for Venturi um and then yeah I mean they um again they when when they run clean um that they can be in the mix but they historically have too many weekends like we've just seen in New York unfortunately well, we've gone for all the teams there, and apologies if we didn't go into the driver that you like the most in the most detail, but they'll just have to do a better result next time out. I've got, I've got one question about Lynn. Um, 
Did he get hit again on Saturday by somebody? Um, I think he got yes. cannonball. He got cannonball, didn't he? Because I'm sure Lynn seems to be getting hit. He must. They must. Dillbag should put a target on the back of his car. As some sort of a joke. Because yeah, Lynn has been so good in the qualifying. He was. He got whacked by uh, Verline. Verline was it? Hit? Oh, okay, into yeah. Him, yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, that was it. Into the yeah, into turn ten to hairpin. And but it's such a shame for for Alex because he's been doing great qualifyings. He's shown a huge amount of speed. I mean, his to have the pressure to keep putting in the qualifying performance. I don't know if the team's missing their race pace or not, but he does seem to be incredibly unlucky with getting hit from behind. He does. He does. And then, you know, he spent Sunday with, you know, it's like a sort of a bare-knuckle bare boxing match with Nato. I think he was, <laughs> you know, they were like, they, there's some good contacts there. But you're right, you know, he does he, he does get some uh, some rough treatment. And um, reminds me a bit of Sims in season five when a similar thing seemed to happen. And, you know, it's, what, it's one of these things, isn't it, where a bit of tactical... Uh, tactical contact is part and parcel of Formula, particularly in the the first few laps. But you're right, Linda seemed to get more than his more than it's his definitely fair more share. than his fair share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder. I don't know if there's any uh, consistency in who's hitting him. <laughs> Maybe he needs to walk down the pit lane before the race and have a word with everybody. Oh, I don't. I don't think there'd be any. Um... Yeah, it's no compensation in the consistency if you're getting barged around. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's hard to know, isn't it? It's hard to know how to deal with it because you know if you what I've noticed is in Formula E when people do get rough end of the stick and, and they do get barged about when there is when the boots on the other foot and they you know they they tend to get their elbows out they're often accused of overdoing it um and we've seen mm. that a bit haven't we i mean you know we saw we saw alex involved with sam bird in in Diria, which was probably you know uh, going a, going a bit too far in terms of moving across and yeah. and then he had that dreadful shunt in in race 2 which was a completely separate thing and i think just a genuine misunderstanding with uh with with evans and what was going on in the later stages but it is uh, it is unfortunate for him, and I agree that he has been super impressive this year. You know, you look at his his Super Bowl record, and you look at the the, the pace that he's got, and um, yeah, you just get the feeling he's not far away from a a really big result. He got that third in Valencia, of course, when it probably should have been a second, but you get the feeling he's on. Oh, I think I think he would have won that race in Valencia, right? Right, personally, and and I do think that, as you quite rightly said, I think he should have a good chance in. Uh... In London, I think their car's pretty good in qualifying, and uh, and certainly Alex has been very good in qualifying. So he could be he could be the one to get his breakthrough. There you go. Heard it here first. Watch him qualify seventeenth. Well, yeah, exactly. It's formally who knows, but I do I do think it's going to be a, a qualifying uh, a qualifying race, probably then followed up with uh, with some carnage, as, as Sam said. Have you um have you asked? Been able to analyse the track surface of what, how they're treating that indoor bit. Um, I haven't. I'm actually I'm at the factory at the moment, and uh, I've been in the sim this morning, and uh, and it it does seem uh, seem that there's quite a difference in in grip from the indoor surface. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but uh, I think it's going to cause quite a lot of complications for the teams to get everything right from the inside to outside, and then not to mention if it actually rains. Um, mm. What it's going to be like to have a dry section of the lap? Yeah, good point. How, what does that do to the tire wear if it's having to work as a as a wet and then as a dry? 
Well, I mean, for Formula E tyres, it doesn't really change much for us, but um, but it could uh, could get interesting with with tyre pressures, I guess, because um, you know you want different pressures in the wet than in the dry, and if you have part of the track dry, part of the track wet, uh, you know you have to try to optimise for the whole lap, not just for for each part. Um, but the circuit is incredibly technical, I have to say. It's going to be it's going to be a great onboard for qualifying laps. Um, and it's going to be very exciting to watch the, the qualifying, and uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how the the race pans out. Yeah, I can't wait. It's been a long time since those races in Battersea, and to actually have a, a race back in London. Are, are you um, coming? Uh, are you going to attend the race? I, I will. I've, I, it's going to. I'm, I'm actually accredited, so it'll be my first one uh, in two years. I mean, splendid. Well, I look forward to seeing you there then. Yeah, we might wave across the bubbles if we're. Uh, <laughs> Um, every one of these podcasts uh, has a little bit of a calendar update and Sam we've we've seen the 2022 calendar so talk us through what's new what's changed and how many races we're almost at F1 calendar levels now aren't we yeah it's pretty good I mean obviously if if it can take place as it should and it's been ratified by the FIA World Motorsport Council last week then it, it should be a cracker we've got three new venues in um Cape Town and Seoul and Vancouver, which are three terrific cities and um, lots of interesting stuff going on in terms of the events, lots of business conferences, concerts at Vancouver, and there's a real green tech vibe in um, Cape Town and the Seoul finale, which will be in August of 2022, is part of a huge cultural festival over there. So all the all the good stuff for those to look forward to. Uh, Monaco is back, so Monaco is going to become an annual race for Formula E, and that is a bit of a no-brainer after what we saw on the proper circuit, let's say, in uh, May. So it'll start uh, start in Diria um, at the end of January, uh, and then we go to Mexico City, and then hopefully we can go back to China. I think there's several cities, new cities they're looking at that probably won't be confirmed until much later this year. But the fallback, I think, is is Sanya, which we saw in in season five in the island of Hainan. Um, Rome and then Monaco, as I mentioned. Then we go to Berlin back on its uh, traditional date, let's say, in May. Um, To be confirmed race in June, um, contractually, there is uh, supposed to be a race in Jakarta, but I believe that that is... Uh, in the balance at the very best. I think there's a lot of political and and still commercial things that need to be ironed out in Indonesia. So there could be the possibility, I think it's a slim one, that Eindhoven could get a race together for next June. But uh, equally, it could be fallow, and we then pick up the North American leg in Vancouver, which is on Canada Day, their, um, their Independence Day on the 2nd of July that weekend and then two weeks later back to New York for a double header and then London for a double header at the end of July and then the aforementioned trip to Seoul. So nice rounded calendar. The one thing that's missing is South America. Uh, we've got a story tomorrow, done a bit of a deep dive into Santiago. Basically, uh, there's been a big political change. The, the mayor, there is a new mayor in the city, which is is of a different political leaning to the previous one and has caused a few complications. It's still possible that Santiago could happen. And I think if it does, and that's all signed off, that will actually slot into a late January date, and then Diria could be moved back to uh, December time, so uh, possibly the third weekend 
in December, just before Christmas. Uh, but all that's still to come. I think there'll be a few bit of chopping and changing going on. But the key thing is we've got a, a great series of races to look forward to, uh, and some new, uh, some nice new shiny venues. Surely, James, the, the nice new shiny venue we all want to see is a race in Japan. Where, where's Yokohama or Tokyo or somewhere? Oh, that would be amazing. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, a race around Tokyo would be incredible. Um, it's something that actually uh, Andre and I tried to push for a long time ago. Um, but yeah, that no, doesn't seem to be possible. Um, hopefully in the future, you never know. But uh, but the new calendar does look great. Uh, I really hope that we can uh, have a more normal season uh, next season and uh, and we can attend all the venues. And um, yeah, looks like Formula put something really great together for season eight. Yeah, I think we're all hoping that, you know, it's it's been really difficult and I think everyone deserves uh, a massive plaudits for making these races happen, but we need to get back where there are big crowds. Like, there, sh- there should be 20,000 people at XL and I think it's it's a, it's a couple of thousand there and they're really sponsor guests and that's that's such a disappointment, but equally completely understandable at the same time, you know. The, I think the, the more we rush back and then you see what's happening in Japan with the Olympics now being a, a fanless event, so... There's clearly a little bit of work to do. Um, Sam, last uh, word on this: the driver market. We, you know, we had the big scoop of uh, of Roland uh, moving to Mahindra from Nissan, but there's not much else happening since then. No, there, there isn't. And as I touched on before, there seems to be a bit of a plateauing of uh, of what's going on. Lots of posturing. Lots of drivers having talks with teams in in New York. I, I think the key area, obviously, is, is who's going to partner Sebastian Buemi at, at Nissan next season. We, we've we mentioned Daniel Kvyat before, and uh, that is still possible. But I think there are other um, drivers in the championship presently who might be um, who might be slotting in there. But but let's see on that one. Andretti, as we mentioned with with Gunter, is still to be confirmed. Um, we believe that Envision will keep Frines and, and Cassidy um, and then I think there'll be very few other changes. I think people will go for a lot of continuity. Uh, you know, Neo, Dragon are probably the areas where we could see some changes and, and possibly some uh, some movement. But uh, no, I, I don't envisage um, any anything beyond that. But again, you never know. Behind the scenes, there, there could be there could be other other things taking place, but I think continuity and consistency is the is the key for the majority of the teams heading into next season. Very good. Well, um, can't wait for a couple of weeks now when we get to go to race in London, get to catch up with you both. I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen you in a long time, James. I really haven't seen Sam very much at all, given all of this nonsense. But thank you very much. Uh, for appearing um, don't uh, forget to check out all of Sam's latest news on thehighfromrace.com and remember to check out our other podcasts which include Bring Back V10 which is just back for its fourth series so uh, remember to give that a go and thank you very much and goodbye